0: Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. Uh, welcome to December. Uh, I it's, believe it's December already, huh? Eh? Yeah, I know. Time goes, as they say.
1: Thanksgiving's gone by already. We didn't even notice it on the way.
0: Yeah, if you survived Thanksgiving, you're half on the way to Memorial Day.
1: I <laughs> something that? like that? So what's on the what's on the menu today? Well, we dear? have a sorted
0: about cooking and, very, with very recipes,
1: un- very unusual ones. And the the f- first first one, f- first of all, the name of the author Zucker is rather unusual, and this is a rather unusual cookbook. I think you'll agree when you hear what this young man has to say.
2: Jordan Zucker, you've got this fancy cookbook out
0: called One Dish, Four Seasons, uh, food, wine, and sound all year round. Uh, now, you have so much going on. Um, can you tell our listeners, like, what is it you primarily do?
3: Hi, everybody. I'm uh, in the middle of my book tour to support the launch of the cookbook.
0: Good. Good. Um, but you were an entertainer right yeah yes. yeah and and you're funny <laughs> <laughs> i
3: sure hope so
0: <laughs> yeah and and this is a family affair this book i mean you, yes
3: it was a family collaboration my mom cooks and my dad was a sommelier and i write and we all kind of contributed a little bit of ourselves to come up with it
0: Yeah, I mean, the book's organized so that um, even an idiot could find all the pieces. You've got graphics, you've got charts, you've got uh, symbols, um, you've got lanyaps. Can you explain what your lanyaps are?
3: So instead of, it's a more thoughtful way of saying pro tip or chef tip, Uh because um, it's in in New Orleans, which is one of my favorite cities. Me too. And a lanyap is a Cajun term for, like, a little something extra, a little bonus, a little gift. Yes. And so throughout the book, I add little gifts of pearls of wisdom and tips to enrich your cooking experience.
0: Right. Um, so the overall concept is most people write books where they um, are seasonal, but they organize the cookbooks ab- from the season, and you That's do right. something My different. Mom was
3: complaining that you know, all these books, you have winter, and these are your recipes that you make in winter. And you have spring, these are your recipes you make in spring. But she wanted to work backwards. She's like, what if I want a soup? What if I want a pasta? I want to know what how to make that one in, in each season. So we start with what you're in the mood for, and then you adapt it to each season based on what's available at the market.
0: Great. Right. Yep.
3: And then on top of that, you pair each one with a wine and a music, To round out the recipe trifecta of entertaining.
0: Yeah. I mean entertaining is a big thing. Throughout your book you have these wonderful um, and sometimes quite brave I would say photographs of you having a good time. I mean I wouldn't be photographed in a lifetime uh putting something in my mouth with my mouth open close up. Oh, yeah, I
3: know. They got uh, they got some action shots in there.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm with you on um, croutons, by the way. Yeah. They're too but does dry, she, right? Yeah. Like, does there's she no li- point. Does she like croutons? No. She no, like, no. It's it's a waste of, uh, of carbs. With Yeah. But, but,
3: yeah but, totally. but you
1: but you like cilantro even less.
3: Oh my god, it's the worst. But,
1: but
3: I have that gene that makes me yeah. dislike
0: it. It's true. I never understood it.
3: Twenty percent of the population. Um, what percent? I think it's 20% of the population. Yeah,
0: that's good. There's another one that's like that, too. Some, a taste goes bad in your mouth. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. Um, oh, beets. There's something about beets that some people can't see. Not, yeah, not
3: everybody likes beets. I know. My dad hates beets. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so so um, tell me this. Um, how about picking a dish and sort of using it as an example, with the wine, the music, the lagniappe, uh, the seasonal adaptations. And, by the way, you, you do have these graphics, so um, you, you can see what the, the season is as you're going through your recipes. You have a yes, little everything's
3: color-coded. Yeah. Winter is blue, spring is green, summer is pink, and fall is orange. And then also the wines are color-coded because I list them by grapes. But then the font you know the text of the grape name will be in the color of the wine so you know you know if you see a Pinot Noir, you probably know it's red, but you know if you see a, a negrette, you don't not possibly know it's red until you see that Negrette is in red
1: I, I, I thought I thought your dad's wine collection was just superb.
3: He has a good wine collection. He was more knowledgeable on the old world stuff, and I know more of the new world stuff.
1: There you so go. we had a
3: good melding of it, so we could have, you know, a wide range for everybody.
1: Oh, you! I mean, you have a magnificent, magnificent coverage of the whole world. I, I don't, I don't know how you managed to acquire all that knowledge.
3: Thanks. Did you see the maps that I put out so everybody sees where their wine came from? Yes.
1: Yeah, I, 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 I had one thing that was tricky. I, I guess I don't see that very was tricky. I don't see very well, and s- sometimes the red numbers. That show oh, you the, on the
3: ocean—the red on the ocean was hard to read. Yeah,
1: you got it Exa- exactly. You, you found it hard we were to read struggling
0: too.
1: Struggling with that font. It was the color combination that was awkward.
0: Yeah, I still want um, my little exercise. No, hold,
1: hold on a second. The, the, the thing, another thing that I liked was your OPPs.
3: The OPP—they're all naughty by nature. Other prominent producer.
1: Right. So, so she had she had one that was recommended. But then an OPP In case you didn't like the ones you recommended oh, okay. <laughs> Or if
3: you can't find it Or if you want it in a different price range There are other producers Of the similar style And region and grapes
1: What, what, is, what are a couple of your favorites?
3: My, my favorite dish that I make Every week is the fish I go to the farmer's market Every Sunday and get a fish And then put it on a bed of greens and add um, <clears throat> A veggie a what and a rub a veg a veggie? No, what is she back yeah. every a fish? Fish, a whole fish. A fish. And I think one of my favorite wines is, is with the fish. It's the Morgon Gamay. Oh yeah, the Jean Fayard. Yeah,
1: which which is red. So you broke the rule. You broke the rule. That's right? Right. I always yeah. break the rule. Well, we're we're having speckled trout tonight, and the wine will be Pinot Noir.
3: You can <laughs> have a red. Yeah, we you always can do. Have, you can definitely have a red with fish.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely a red wine person. Um, the, my little exercise here: I'm looking at steak. <laughs> okay. So, tell the
3: winter. Us. The winter is a mushroom. Right. The spring is artichoke. Right. Right. What's the summer? Poblano, I think. And the and the fall Poblano, is red wine, wine and shallot.
0: And then yeah. the fall is.
3: The red wine shallot.
0: What are, and what
1: are the wines? You have the book, me
0: I know. I'm, I'm. I don't have that. Right so for the steak, the only thing we varied was the dipping sauce. With the what?
1: The dipping sauce. The oh, dipping, the dipping sauce.
0: sauce. Right. Okay. And in the wines, and what about the music? And the music. The music I first paired by season,
3: and then placement in the meal, like a breakfast song or a dessert song or a main dish song.
0: Right, um, you you you're big on this on um, entertaining. How do you do? Oh, yes. I love this. I just turned the page and saw this adorable dog. <laughs> That's
3: my French bulldog. That's my baby girl, my she's, furry girl.
0: Oh, she's wonderful. You
1: got moral She is the best.
0: Her name's Hula. Yeah. And she's she. Eight. I was worried. You give her wine. You said.
3: She just takes a little sip. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, she would drink the whole glass if I let her, but we don't do that. She really likes
0: it that much.
3: She likes wine and beer. She doesn't like booze. <laughs> she's,
1: she's French, right? So, of course. She's French. <laughs> French.
3: I, brought her to, I brought her to Paris this summer when I went for the World Cup. Uh-huh. And what? She spoke
0: French with all the locals behind my back.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I believe you, too.
0: So anyhow, what what are some of your other? Did you come up with any kind of surprising, startling um, arrangements with the ingredients and the seasons? I'm looking at no, chicken but I tried with to cherries add layers and almonds.
3: <clears throat> I tried to add layers to the pairing, like a rosé wine with the Pink Floyd, and I think James Brown is paired with the Prisoner wine because <laughs> it's time, right? That's or good. um. There's a Molly Duker line from Australia called The Boxer,
0: and Molly Duker is
3: the left-handed, the Aussie word for left-handed, and Paul Simon is a lefty.
0: I see. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either.
3: So I added layers to them, like fun cerebral layers, or wordplay, like the hearts of Tom... Oh, right. sorry, I'm getting off my exit. I need to make sure I'm going the right okay. way. Okay, well, got don't, don't it. Don't um, the Hearts of Palm so. is a string guacamole that I paired with Robert Palmer.
1: The Hearts of Palmer. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go. That's clever. That's very cute. Now, do do, do you, know wine no. make, you know a winemaker from Walla Walla called Charles Smith?
3: I don't know if I know him.
1: Okay. The interesting thing is that before before he became a winemaker, he used to be a rock producer. Rock, oh, I like that. Producer. Well, you
3: know Les Claypool. I mentioned Les Claypool's winery uh-huh. in the uh, Sonoma Pinot section.
1: And there's a who who was to do as a there's a, there's a group? Les
3: Claypool is a bass player from Primus.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's some brothers who, have a, who have a, no no who band. They have a winery in Virginia. Charlie, isn't it Charlie Daniels? It's not, it's not Charlie Daniels. Oh, it's somebody, no! I have to try it. It's some. It's somebody like that. If you if you Google rock group winemaker in Virginia, I'm sure you'll find it.
0: Okay. Well, what about B or
1: C? That's driving Huh? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> and, and 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 want to rem, to remind me about uh, Bruce Cohn. Who, who used who? Who made made enough money to start making wine by being the manager for the Doobie Brothers?
3: <laughs> oh, and they, and they I have like a, it! I like the cross genre.
1: <laughs> and and they, and they have a huge Music pop, rock world. rock concert, essentially yeah. all day rock concert at their at their winery in Santa Rosa, California, every October.
0: Well, I want to go. Oh, oh, it's wonderful. It it's
1: wonderful. Yeah, well, look. When
0: is it? Uh, it's October. Usually, it's
1: usually in October. But if you go to. If you go, now. if you go to the BR Cone website, all the details will be there.
0: The what website? I said B- if R B period. R period. Cone. C O H N. Oh, Dr. Cone. Uh huh.
1: And and, and you'll okay. you'll find all the information about it there. I, I think they have. I think I saw an announcement. They're actually having more than one.
0: Uh-huh. That was very popular. It sells out. It's like, bodies everywhere. It's like
1: <laughs> that was like the wine the winery across the street, called, which is called Landmark. Um, and we we discovered. Oh,
3: Landmark's good. I like that Landmark.
1: Yeah. You 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 know you know how they managed to run it. How the last, the last name of the husband is Deer. D E -E R E like the green tractors. So they have a lot of money.
0: (laughs) Oh, uh huh. Okay, now uh, back to this book. Now uh, uh, you are in love with quinoa. I like quinoa. Do you like quinoa? Yeah, I love it. I usually have it for breakfast. I uh, think it's versatile. Oh, breakfast! See, with like, do you do an egg, like a poached egg, on top? Well, Peter fixes me. Lentils with quinoa, and then I do a, yes. a, a soft-boiled egg on top.
3: I love that idea.
0: And here we so are. Do, with you
3: swoop, do you swoop the quinoa? I, I don't know. He cooks it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I,
3: you have to swoop the quinoa. That's the, the baseline for anything. Tell, explain what your swoops is.
1: Oh, oh. Season
3: yeah. with olive oil, pepper, and salt, yeah. and you really. It's a game changer, and you, you have to swoop to everything, and it's just the tiniest effort, and it it
0: makes all the difference. Yeah, I thought everybody did that. I, mean, I don't know
3: why would well, you not well, do I that. Well, I would hope that they do. Yeah. You have to.
1: Well, I, I I add the olive oil after after the ever, after everything's cooked. Okay. So I start so, so I start with the lentils because they take longer. Then yeah. add then add the quinoa, which only takes about five minutes. And and then when it comes out, really,
3: my quinoa takes 15 minutes.
1: Oh well, maybe try it shorter. Okay. Maybe maybe you'll like it. Maybe maybe, okay. maybe, you'll, maybe you'll hate it.
3: <laughs> you do a little. Yours has a little crunch to it, I guess. Uh,
1: yeah, five minutes is enough. And, and okay. Then, and then I add the olive oil and mix it all up. And I, I don't eat it. I eat it. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not manly food, as far as I'm I'll concerned. Olive oil,
3: salt, and pepper. You're swoops in away. There you go. Yes, on Let me make sure. I'm...
1: You know, you also do hold, cocktails. Hold on, she's okay, making it. She's making a to Yes,
3: the cocktails are the last round. I do a winter, spring, summer, fall tequila drink. Right. And we're going to feature the cocktails at my lunch party.
0: Oh, are you okay? You the one yeah. you're going to. Yeah. I see. And now with your desserts, um, they're basically, um, I, I think they're sentimental desserts. Would you agree?
3: Sorry, say that again. You cut out.
0: I think that your desserts are essentially sentimental desserts. Like, right,
3: I'm not a big dessert person, but you know sometimes you need something sweet at the
0: end. Yeah, see, I'm not a big dessert person either, but you do include. So, is
3: it a cookie and a crumble?
0: It, you do crumble, and you do um, peanut butter and fig jelly crisp. That sounds oh, that crazy. Was,
3: so that's my favorite
0: one. Yeah, that's one that I noticed. So, anyhow, so what do you want people to take away from this To take away from this cookbook? Uh, okay, good. I want people
3: to take away. Um, like a sense of empowerment from it so that they can start with the base recipe and make it into whatever they want, depending on what mood they're in, what season it is, um, what time it is, and kind of use it as a canvas. And uh, give. uh I hope it gives them legs to yes. entertain.
0: Love, uh, friendship, family. Um, yeah. Yeah. Entertainment, <laughs> laugh. Yes. <laughs> well, I think you a did that. A fully
3: immersive experience.
0: Right. I think you did that just well, Jordan Zucker. Thank you. Again, uh, listeners, um, a twist on your usual cookbook. This one's called One Dish, Four Seasons, Food, Wine, and Sound All Year Round. Well, good luck with your uh, launch that you're headed towards. Jordan and uh, good luck with your book. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Jordan. Bye bye. Okay, bye.
1: I just realized I made a boo boo, but I don't want to go all the way back and fix it. I thought, I thought yeah, I thought Jordan was a guy. I don't understand why. Anyway, anyway, we got we got it right. We got it right in the end. Okay, you're fr- you're frowning. I didn't
0: know what you were talking about. You're
1: fr- you're frowning at me.
0: Well, I just didn't understand why it was an unusual name.
1: Well, I I guess I thought it, I I I thought it was a guy Jordan. I'm so sorry. And let's let's continue on, shall we? Uh,
0: did you take a break?
1: Uh, no, no, it's time to take a break, though, and don't go away because we'll be right back, and we might even get people's names right.
2: Podcasting services for On the Menu Radio
1: are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: Welcome back. Um, Our next guest... Is uh, has a, a book that I really admire, and I love her her idea. It, the book's called Lateral Cooking. And uh, as somebody who can't seem to follow a recipe, I really appreciate her concept of, of weaning yourself away from this um,
1: you're follow. You're pretty lateral altogether. I am lateral indeed. <laughs> <laughs> this, this might be one you've written yourself, love.
0: Yeah, I know. It's Nikki Segnet, Lateral Cooking. Uh, She's coming to us from the UK.
2: We're going to be talking to Nikki
0: Segnet um, with her book, Lateral Cooking, has a forward by Yotam Otulongi, who is not... uh, O'Talenty, who is not a, um, an amateur in this field, and he likes it, and he likes your previous book, Nikki. Uh, the, what is it? It's flavor and what is it? Flavor for SARS. Yes, um, and I, this is a very, very big book. Um, how about just starting with the idea um, that you were explaining to us is that you found the way you were cooking for 20 years, that you were a recipe robot and you decided to change that?
2: Uh, Yes, I did. I mean, I started to change a little bit when I wrote The Flavor Thesaurus because I started to think about food from the point of view of ingredients or starting with ingredients and thinking a little bit more about what things taste like. But when I was writing The Flavor Thesaurus, I had to try lots and lots of different flavor combinations together. And I had to start letting go of recipes and starting to adapt things myself or come up with ideas of my own. And so I had to find a way of learning how to cook instinctively, which sounds like a bit of a contradiction. But um, I set off on this project, I started to put together a, a file of skeleton recipes if you like that could be flavored any which way um it was really mainly for my own use to to begin with and then as i got more into it i realized that it would be quite an interesting thing for anybody else who wanted to learn to cook um either to sort of adapt things or to create things of their own and so uh lateral cooking kind of came out of that idea um but what it grew into was this rather large, rather satisfying book. Large, it's, indeed. Yes, it is large. <laughs> it is large, but it's kind of, it's airy, and it's broken into lots of nice little digestible pieces. But it's... A um, it, you it, and you have a great sense of
0: humor. I mean, you're funny. <laughs> oh,
2: that's very kind of you. Well, you know, it just makes the, mm-hmm. it's a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, so it's a bit like a, if you think of it as like a, a big family tree of dishes, just putting everything together in an order that that makes it much easier to see how um, lots of recipes from all over the world group together around common themes.
0: Right. Now, uh, I, I will run through, just so it's on the board here, uh, your, your, besides learning to cook sideways, uh, your list of categories. You've broken it down to bread, cornbread, polenta, and gnocchi, batter, roux, stock soup and stew, nuts, cake and cookies, chocolate, sugar, custard, sauce, and pastry. Now, how did you arrive at that classification system?
2: Well, I arrived at uh, the long way, is the short answer. Uh, I ended, Because I had this file of all these different skeleton recipes for my own use, I started to say, well, actually, this is breads and this one, you know, just those things like, these things are about nuts and this is about chocolate. So they were not interested in putting them together as starters or main courses, because that's not how the family tree really works. So I started to put them into themes that were more in line with what you were doing, a lot more about the method of how these things are made. So, for example, in the custard family, we start with custard tarts, custard pies, and then we move into creme caramels, and then we move into creme brulee, and then pouring custard, the sauce, and then or creme anglaise if, if you're French, and then onto ice cream, and then onto creme patisserie, and then onto creme frita. Now, all of those custards have lots and lots of different international variations. But if you plot them on a continuum, which is what I've done, you can see how one shades into the other by perhaps uh, leaving out the egg whites or adding more sugar. So they're, they're all kind of like they all. Together very nicely. And so what I'm doing is I'm explaining how these things shade into each other, which is a bit of a different idea, I suppose, to saying, oh, well, here are some things to have with drinks, and here are some things to have with starters. This is rather, this is creating an order based on the recipes themselves. Yeah, you, you also have these nice illustrations with little
0: arrows directing this becomes this, becomes this, and so forth. And, and then you also have to, to um, stir up more creative energy in, in uh, these sections called leeway. Explain what
2: leeway is. So the, so the leeway is also part of the notes that I made. So I'd write down, like, start to put together a very basic skeleton recipe that, that you can just follow if you just want to make that. You know, if you just want to follow what I'm saying because you want to make, uh say, ricotta gnocchi. But then I suppose really what we want a lot of the times when we're cooking something is we want to know, like, well, what if I haven't got two eggs? Can I make it with one? Can I make it with gluten-free flour? Can I make it with a different cheese to Parmesan? So the leeway is basically a little place where on each of the recipes, I tell you all the things that you can do without, you can swap out, or different ways that people make these this thing. So you have... When you start off, you have a whole load of um, possibilities. So you can either change things up for your dietary requirements or for your creative desires or for your own personal taste. You want to reduce the sugar, you want to reduce the gluten, all that kind of thing. The leeway is, if you like, the pragmatic side of things a lot of the time, whereas then after you've been through the leeway, then you have lots of flavors and variations. So that's much more the aesthetic changes that you might make to a recipe.
1: Now there there are some adventures in the English language too That you include <laughs> in your book So so why, why, why don't you tell our listeners about Oh what's about, the funny one we found About something with a snook <laughs> Cock a snook? Cocking a snook Cocking a snook, <laughs> I loved it Have <laughs> you
2: never cocked a snook? Oh,
1: I didn't. Uh, actually I, actually I, pro- I probably did But it was, S- six, the it was 65 <laughs> or 70 years ago <laughs>
0: <laughs> we laughed so hard it, it was like we, we came across the phrase a long time ago with Uncle
1: Tom's. Your no, no, no. Bob, uncle. Bob, 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 Bob's your uncle. Bob's
0: your uncle, and, and we we turned it over to our family historian to research it <laughs> to find oh, out what yeah. that meant.
1: Somebody actually somebody actually explained it to us, and their explanation, it turns out, was was pretty pretty accurate. But cocking cock- a snook. <laughs> snook. snook, 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 not snook. snook. Cocking snook. a snook, it's like
2: thumbing your nose.
1: Yes. Something in okay. There you go. So, so <laughs> in the U, in the US, it would be. Th- there's another expression called sh- something to do with a finger. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, we got that one from you. Yeah, For cocking a snook New- is more Dickensian I, I thought
1: I thought Winston Churchill in, inven- uh. invented the V sign. And th- yes, th- it's related. There he is in Parliament Square. <laughs> and 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 he's he's on Massachusetts Avenue in Washington DC as well.
0: Yeah. Now, um, you know my question to you is um
1: I have oh, oh, I, I forgot something I was going to uh, say. Right. You also you also don't mind poking fun at uh, some leading lights in the in the cooking business.
2: Oh no, do I? Uh, <laughs>
1: you you had, you had something about one of Michelle Rue's recipes. Oh, Heston Blumenthal few, and Heston Blumenthal is in the index eleven times.
2: Oh, okay. Well, you know, I'm a great fan of Heston's. So yeah. I'm sure I haven't been at all rude about anybody. I mean, if it, I mean, it's a, a light tease.
1: It was a light tease. It was.
2: British <laughs> people love a light tease.
1: <laughs> they do. Um,
0: the this. Spit it out, love. Spit, <laughs> it out. <laughs> Spit it out. It might be a gold watch. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking and. You and I were talking about a lot of my friends are not only recipe robots. They won't even attempt a recipe unless they have a color photograph of the finished product. (laughs) Mm. So do you think you're going to be able to entice people to abandon that rigor and turn to this lateral
2: approach? Yeah, because, well, why not? Why (laughs) torture yourself by looking at a photograph that's been, uh, you know, basically put together, it's photoshopped, it's been put together by people who know all the tricks of the trade to make food that isn't real look delicious. Um, Both of my books have no photographs in them for a good reason. They have, lateral cooking has illustrations, which are, uh, I would think of them like outlines, so that your imagination colors them in. You know, you guys, it's like radio has the best pictures. So it, this book is about making your imagination work. So what you don't need is a picture of somebody who's done it better than you can do it because exactly. it's just, it, just, it just stops the imagination. It's just so lovely to read about food and create your own idea of what it looks like. And then if it turns out looking homey, which most food does, i work with plenty of food professionals. A lot of their food does too when they're cooking it off camera. It's, you know It's fine. It's what it tastes like that counts. And, the, if
0: you address... and if you need
2: to, if you need to look something up, you just, you know, you can just get online and have a look and see, you know, when I had to, when I was writing the piece about strudel, for example, I did go online and watch somebody else, you know, a, a proper that's Hungarian true. granny roll a proper strudel and that's, you know, that's fine. It's, it's there if you need it, but it's not great for the imagination if it's all just there and done and dusted and perfect. But you addressed
0: the issue, um, I used to have this issue where I would come up with something marvelous and then I couldn't remember what I did. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's also, I think, a lo- a lovely thing because sometimes it's great to just have that ephemeral moment where you made something and, you know, like the sort of thing that goes in, down in family history where you say oh god do you remember when so and so when mum made that thing and it was just so great but she, you know she's never ever going to be able to make it again because she didn't write it down or uh, you know I talk about the Christmas cake that I made a couple of years ago it was People were talking about this Christmas cake. I have no idea what I did. <laughs> well, I, took to, to
0: I took to calling retrieve. a friend of mine and, and saying to him, write this down. <laughs> Tell him what he should write down so I could retrieve the recipe.
1: Sure.
2: I tend to be a bit more careful these days. Uh-huh. I tend to take notes.
0: Uh-huh. Uh, is, is there an example I mean I'm looking at nuts but I'm not sure that's the most obvious example of tracing uh, the evolution of lateral development here
2: uh, well nuts is actually nuts is a great one but I'll, perhaps bread is a little bit simpler so we could say the bread continuum, the bread okay. chapter starts with a flat bread which is just right. flour and water and a pinch of salt and you mix it up to dough and you roll it out and then you can cook it on the barbecue or under the grill or in a pan or whatever, and you have this lovely, delicious flatbread that smells like um, fresh bread. I do now, like the really one
0: that's... about. I like the one about where you went in with all those little loaves that looked like a, a, a breast implant. Showroom. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens if you have fourteen different flavored breads at 125 <laughs> grams, like one cup worth of flour. All of them like heaving. As they're proving on the side, it really was. Uh, <laughs> it was quite a sight to behold. It's it so beautiful in its way. So, so go really ahead, back to that. bread.
0: Sorry, back to bread. You're talking about the bread. Oh yes.
2: So the flatbread. But that flatbread is how chapatis are made. It's how tortillas are made. It's how Japanese nihachi buckwheat noodles are made. There's just like that one very simple way of making a dough is responsible for dozens of different food preparations across the world. So I've collected them all together under this one starting point. And then you move on to adding a bit of chemical leavener, baking soda, baking powder to that same mix. It's the same proportion. I always use the same proportion when I can in the book. I use the same language to explain what we're doing in the book as well. So it becomes properly repetitive and it's going, it's going to go into your hard drive. So you know how to do it without referring to the book quite quickly with the chemical leavener, you can make biscuits, you can make Irish soda bread, you can make the cobbler top. And then you move on, you change the chemical leavener for yeast, and then you just make your typical yeasted bread. Change the water in yeasted bread for milk, add an egg, and then you have an enriched dough, and that's going to make you charla. that's going to make your stollen, that's going to make ginger buns that they eat in Amsterdam, that's going to make lardy cake, which I grew up with, which is a very um, rustic Uh, Mm -hmm. like bun with lard in it and then further enrich it you make a brioche and then enrich it and make more of a batter than a dough and you have the batter that you use to make barbers and sabarins (laughs) and all along that um, continuum we use the same either um, two cups or four cups of flour and the same amount of liquid and it's just really you can learn how to do all of this in a Greek you can do all of it and never need another bread recipe again
1: that is, of course, you can t- if you can tear yourself away from all the funny jokes that are in the book.
2: <laughs> that is my trick. So the thing is, is you can learn it, but uh, I, I like to keep you on the page because I like to write. <laughs> so it's a it's a jolly fun book to read. Isn't
1: so it? so, so the,
0: you, you enjoyed this. You could tell just by reading it. That you enjoyed writing but, it. But
1: no, the, the last the last one was your first book.
0: That's right. Yeah. Oh, so the of the so this is the first one. So
1: this is only the second one.
0: <laughs> yeah is the first one still in print Oh god yes it's all
1: 200,000 copies and yeah. something it's like that a the
2: cover A been in here is I get a copy of that too What You should get a copy of that yeah. You'll have a scream with it It's full of um <laughs> it's full of the naughty things that you clearly like <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh boy Well um you you have interesting things to say about Rue, um, you, you have uh, charming little illustrations of uh, of the crabs. Um, and, you know, little peppered throughout the uh, the type. The only criticism I would have is the size Ooh. of the type. <laughs> oh,
1: really? I mean, I, actually, actually it's, be, it's better than I thought it was going to be. Oh, really? When I, when I looked over your shoulder at it, I said I'll never be able to read that because uh-huh. I'm optically challenged.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's the least it, black on, it, the it, one, black and then red on white. Yeah. I mean, it's well, the that ones that I have trouble with. The, the, the fancy books that have yellow and black. Yeah, but the, <laughs> yellow and well, black. Like the whole gourmet cookbook was yellow. The time size,
1: the time, side, the time, is, the time isn't, isn't as bad as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. I might actually be able to tackle some of the, some of the pages.
0: <laughs> we well, you have your work cut out for you here, I think.
1: I I do, I do. (laughs) Now, tell our listeners the answer to the question we asked you at the beginning. Where is T.S. Eliot's house?
2: (laughs) Okay, T.S. Eliot's house is in Kensington, just off Kensington High Street.
1: Just Um, just around the corner from the uh, Whole Foods. I'm actually
2: sitting at his desk. No kidding. I'm sitting at his desk trying to, uh, you know, trying to pick up some rightly vibes by osmosis
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the, 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 fun, the funniest thing about it is that T S Eliot wrote lots of, lots of wonderful things but including poems about cats which which, uh, eva- yes, which, cats which, which eventually became be a, cats, yeah. which eventually became a musical hit yeah. on broadway That's right. but he also he also wrote who will rid me of this whatever it was from the play <laughs> well, comes play about beckett thomas beckett
2: Maybe, maybe the next thing that I do will happen to be a massive international musical smash hitch about food. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> about lateral cooking, no less. <laughs> <laughs> maybe just change that C in cats, it in E and make it eat, uh-huh. And it will be lots of, lots of dishes, singing well, little Nikki, songs and
0: dancing. I must say that um, your book will go on our bookshelf and you will go on our potential guest list for dinner parties <laughs> well thank you very much, that's no bigger
2: compliment,
1: and, I'd uh, love to come and we'll, we'll, be, we'll be in London sometime soon I'm sure, so we'll we'll keep your email address and we'll be in touch, it would be, it would be fun to sit down together and laugh as we've been doing now,
0: <laughs> you do that thanks Nikki, segment again, thank you for having me pardon?
2: thank you for having me, take care
0: yes, and good luck with your next Appearance. Thank
2: you very much. Okay. Bye bye. Podcasting
1: services for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station. www dot aspstation dot net.
0: Well, I really admire our next guest, and and I found his book just so full of wisdom, and I'd like to just work my way through the whole thing, and we're going to be talking to William Moyes Weaver, who we call lovingly um, W3.
1: (laughs) Indeed, W3, and W3 is an expert on, guess what you'll never guess, pickles.
0: The rough wood book of pickling. What? what, what it's, uh, it's one of those things that I mean. It's very, very au courant. Uh We need to know it as part of our whole zeitgeist of, of cooking these okay. days.
1: That's a fancy word.
0: Right. It's a foreign
1: Zeit- word. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a out the word. It's slightly longer. Huh? Well, I, well. Anyway, what what you absolutely need in your kitchen or your pantry. Or wherever you keep your book books. He's a cookbook all about pickles. So here's one for you.
0: William Wise Weaver is. How many books is it now? Uh, William, is it 15 or 18? No,
4: it's 18. I'm working on 19, 20, and
0: 21. Oh, dear. All together. All together. Oh, boy. Um, you it's called w- multitasking. Yeah. <laughs> well, the book we're going to be talking about actually is the Roughwood Book of Pickling. And uh, listeners, uh, you want the uh, ne plus ultra of uh, pickling. This is it. <laughs> um, there have been so many books on pickling because it's everybody's turn to preserving in one way or another. And, uh, but yours is a really serious. Um, it's. It's. I described it to somebody as academic, but not dry. <laughs> I mean, academic in terms of accuracy and detail, but but also an interesting read. Is that how you would agree? It is.
4: Well, thank you. Yes, I. I, I was hoping it would come across that way. Um, okay. well, the recipes are, are very good, by the way. Oh,
1: the recipes are wonderful. <laughs> Triple no, they, tested. No, they have, but they have a history about them, right? Yes. Well, they, they go back a really long time.
4: Many yeah. of the, yeah. you yeah. know, many of the recipes um, really, are, well, a couple of them are from the 18th century, but I, I change them. I, I modernize them. Uh, tastes have changed. But some of the concepts, well, like the pickled... Um, cardoon, uh, I mean, people have been pickling cardoons for thousands of years, so yeah. it's, it's just a new way of doing it, um, but, but then there are, some, there are some recipes in there which are unusual, uh, more or less a product of my own invention, for example, the gr- uh, green blueberries, unripe blueberries. Yeah, that
0: surprised me, um, I, in the back of my head, I had some dish in a restaurant that had those in it, blueberries, and I don't remember what it was. Do you remember? I was so surprised, Rabbit.
1: No, I don't remember.
0: Yeah, but I was surprised. Green, green, it, blue,
1: green blueberries, I would not have remembered.
0: Well, it, it was a savory dish.
4: Okay. Yes, they would work. They actually, when, when the blueberry uh, fruit is, before it ripens blue and black, it has a taste similar to gooseberries, so mm-hmm. you can you can use it. Like a tart apple or something of that kind in savory dishes. And it's very high in pectin, so you don't really need short gel or anything like that mm-hmm. to um, make them turn into jam.
1: Whatever happened to gooseberries, by the way? I mean, nobody nobody, nobody grows them anymore.
0: (laughs) Well, we lost to the birds. I gave up even through netting. They managed to get the gooseberries.
4: Well, I had about 20 varieties of gooseberries here at Roughwood, and they did well for a few years. But um, that thing called global warming (laughs) uh, took them out, if you will, because uh, it's just gotten too humid and warm for them uh, when they come the season and then they get blighty and the fruit falls off and it turned into a disaster so I just I got rid of them and mm-hmm. uh when I was talking to Monticello uh, down in Virginia yeah. about this gooseberry problem Thomas Jefferson had gooseberries on Monticello mountain when he lived there well they can't grow them at all now because really? it's too hot
1: huh.
4: so, so that's what's happening to your gooseberries. They're migrating north.
1: <laughs> I see. <laughs> they're, going, they're going to Iceland so that, so that Trump can buy them, right? <laughs> probably.
4: Um, I have gooseberries um, from or- Oregon. That's where I get my gooseberries now. Okay. But they, they deliver them. It's very expensive. They come frozen.
1: <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Um. um the, uh, if you have a taste of gooseberries, I guess you just have to pay the price. Huh?
4: That's it. That's it. I will not give up gooseberries, one way or another. I'm going to get my <laughs> gooseberries.
0: <laughs> now, you, you um, in this book, uh, draw also on um, Latin America, Central America, uh, India, South India. Um, do, are you a traveler as well?
4: Well, uh, yes, I like to travel, but also... Um, this is a reflection of the roughwood seed collection and all of the riches that we have in that collection of peppers from South America, what have you. And uh, it, uh, it, it's, it's important, I think, that we, we um, if we're going to be growing these, uh, quote-unquote, exotics, that we know how they're used in their indigenous cultures. And just by reading up, for example, on some of the peppers, from South America, I, I became fascinated with the way they prepare them in salsas and and fermented salsas. So um, those recipes show up in the book, and in a sense, um, this just broadened the base of of readership for the book because there's a little bit of everything in there, and the book takes you all around the world. And if you like Asian, well, there's a there's Asian. If yes. you like if you like Latino, it's there. And anyway, I think our our taste day have become much exactly. more sophisticated and more cosmopolitan. So people are looking for these different ways of handling familiar ingredients or or the unusual. We also offer the seeds. So if you want... Oh
0: to, yeah, I want to make a note of that because um, we garden and um, that would be good. So we'll have yes,
4: to... That was, yes, that was one of the important uh, things the publisher wanted uh, that Rizzoli wanted me to do is to be sure we had the seed sources in the back. So if you don't if you've never grown, you know, Ahilamo, you can get that recipe, that pepper from us or or, or from other seed um, companies.
0: So. You know, I keep trying to get um, seeds for or however you, I don't know how you start. These ice plants, you know, it's like an ice lettuce, ice plant.
4: Yes, yes, I know what you mean. And there's
0: uh, uh, this restaurant tour in um, Las Gadas. I has them uh, he is a gardener and grows things just for him and they have this but i couldn't get the seeds
4: oh well we don't have it here in our collection but we probably will um because we're in the process of uh, organizing a an alliance with one of the universities in philadelphia where we'll have a ta- a restaurant called the Roughwood Table and we will oh, grow right. the food and it will supply that table with with unusual things that people can try and I know we'll we'll have ice plant. Okay, yeah, we'll D- be D- there.
1: <laughs> D- David Kinch from Rennes was who oh, you were D- talking about. Well, he Bush. he smuggled his, his ice plant seeds in from France. <laughs> ah,
4: they grow better when they're smuggled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like the cheese oh, company that
0: smuggled the, in the Rugford mold. I always
1: right. I, I laugh about it to Gary Ebberly and and what he called the suitcase clone. Uh-huh. Which which is a winemaker. Which were cutting, cuttings of, of the Syrah grape variety.
0: Now, you know, we, st- we were talking around about this. Let's start back at the beginning. Uh, the first chapter in your book, well, the introduction to your book, says the story of Roughwood, which gives us the background on uh, the seed savers and all that. Tell me, tell us about that.
4: Yes, well, um, the Roughwood Book of Pickling, of course, draws its name from the, the, the house, and the house was called Roughwood. A name it acquired in the 1880s uh, when it was owned by Thomas Alexander Biddle. who was a very famous right, yeah. uh, banker in Philadelphia, one of the wealthiest bankers. He bought the place and called it Roughwood after an ancestral home in uh, in Scotland.
0: Okay.
4: And so that's where there is a Roughwood in Scotland. a Roughwood, I think that's how they pronounce mm-hmm. it there. <laughs> okay. And this is Roughwood is the Anglo the English way of of writing the scottish name but he actually bought the house to um a, as a love nest for his um uh, mistress. mistress yes <laughs> uh, a, a mrs Pooter, who was um an infamous madam in Philadelphia, <laughs> one of those Victorian ladies into black corsets and that sort of thing.
0: <laughs> got to watch out for black corsets. <laughs> yes, well,
4: we we swear Mrs. Pooter's ghost is walking around Roughwood, and uh, we we hear noises every once in a while. And we just say, "Oh, that's Mrs. Pooter. She's got something to tell us." <laughs> but um, so th- th- that's more or less how the house got its name. Um, it was a 75-acre farm at that time. Mm-hmm. So it, it has an agricultural history tied to it. But it was originally built as a tavern. So, I mean, it's sort of the ideal place to live if you're writing about food. Mm-hmm. The place is all about food and food preparation. And I brought my grandfather's seed collection over here to Devon from Westchester. West and that
0: I have a question about that. You said that, that the seed collection was put together in, what nineteen thirties something
4: yes my uh, we we know that my grandfather had this his seed collection organized by nineteen thirty two he It probably goes back before that, but i Why i
0: were these viable these seeds just because you that were frozen or never yes
4: yes he 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 was really um well-versed in in botany and horticulture and he knew that if you froze seeds you could prolong their lo- longevity for yeah, a but long, that long
0: many time news, but oh news. yes
4: if you freeze for example um wheat it will keep it for a thousand years if you freeze it at, cor- at the correct temperature it's it's a tricky business knowing what plants react to what kind of freezing But um, this is what all the big seed banks do, the seed archives. They freeze their seeds, and we are hoping to have a walk-in freezer for the roughwood collection because we need that. Um, Otherwise, if you don't freeze your seeds, you have to keep renewing them, like um, lima beans, like Dr. Martin's Lima. We have to regrow it every three years, otherwise the seed will die. People think that uh, freezing the seeds killing it. It's not, really. You're, you're just holding it in limbo. It's a very interesting uh, thing, all of its Well, own. they
0: they do that with uh, fetuses, <laughs>
4: Yes, they oh, do. And you,
0: I mean, I don't understand why they're not um, corrupted in any way when they're then thought. Well,
4: over, over time, it would happen, but that's why you have to stay stay on top of it. Um, fortunately, the Roughwood Seed Collection is under the management of uh, Stephen Smith, and he he knows all about plant genetics, So, and he's a breeder, and he knows how to hand pollinate. So we, we have an expert on board running things for us, and I depend on him um, a great deal now, because he, he is breeding new varieties of corn and um new lettuces for us I've I've created some varieties as well and we have a couple of them in the pickling book the roughwood fairy horns the um, little
0: peppers those things I I, thought were the strangest looking things
4: well they make good ristras too you know you can um, since they look like a hand with five fingers these little peppers that grow in this clumps, you can tie them together and make a wreath it's very easy how nice so they they have a decorative uh, aspect, but they're hot as Hades. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, well, you you tend. I mean, you've divided this book up into um, what now it's hot, yes. Hot and, yeah, wait. I have
4: it divided up into uh, hot and spicy, sweet and sour, and salty, fermented. So those are basically the three categories of pickles. Some people don't like sweet and sour, but they love hot and spicy. So yeah,
0: you I, love spicy and hot, don't you?
4: Yes, I do. I happen to like it. It, Nothing is too hot for me. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm one of those. But just remember, what goes in hot comes out hot. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's
0: a nice way of putting it. I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) What's that chili from Arizona that they keep sending us rabbit?
1: Well, they're hat, their exactly. hatched chills. Which, then, oh, yeah. They're not cool. all that hot.
0: Well, no, we didn't use the really hot ones after we got them. They, were, they came in three different um, temperatures.
4: Uh-huh. Um, yes. You know,
0: mild, hot, and the hottest. Yeah. We didn't use the hottest Hot the stuff for me.
4: Well, those are called weaponized
0: peppers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Okay, so uh, uh, you have more... I'd say, food in your family history as well. Yes. And that shows up in the book, right?
4: Yes, yes. Um, I, I've written books on food history, so I have explored the backgrounds and the origins of many of the uh, food plants that are used in the, in the pickle book. So it... it, it Gives a nice uh context for the recipes they're not just plopped down there you know like they fell out of the sky they they they're they're recipes with stories, and people like that kind of thing because it gives the food context and meaning
0: yeah well that's that's where it is now, and also a little bit of memoir thrown into all these cookbooks that keep printing yeah
4: yes yes
0: so um you have some unusual i would say um yeah, I never had the m mischu misuchu Maranod, m- when I was in Lima.
4: Miscuchu, miscucho. Yeah, well, that's quechua. That's uh, the uh, a word from the language spoken by the Incas.
0: Okay. And but um it, That's a pepper. Yeah, but it's um it's from Peru and I don't remember having that. It's very pretty.
4: Yes, actually, we have a great many Peruvian peppers that um you don't often see even in Peruvian restaurants mm-hmm. um stephen smith was our our collection manager was down in Peru, and he went up into the hills and he got seeds that are very very rare and so we we surprise Peruvians even with some of the things that we have.
0: Yeah, well, you know, and they have so many varieties. We were talking about the potatoes. I mean, that potato museum was amazing. It was a real eye-opener, the varieties.
4: Yes, the potatoes from Peru are beautiful, but they're difficult to grow in North America because they're day-length sensitive. Mm -hmm. Um, In other words, uh, they're high altitude and they're close to the equator, which means they get 12 hours of day and 12 hours of night. So when you bring them up to, like Pennsylvania or wherever, they get all messed up because the sun is different, and then they don't they don't flower or they don't tuberize or something like really?
1: that. They're, they're, the people who ran the potato wasn't really a museum. I don't know why, exactly what you would call it. It was the saver. They were they were trying conditioning. Yes, the, of, of different different potatoes by by giving them. More light or less light. Yeah, so they were either shading them, or they were exposing them to more sunlight. Well, this
4: is the this is how we uh, get the plants. Even the even the corn, for example, from Peru. Um, if you breed it enough, uh, you can get it to adapt to your growing conditions and your daylight uh, daylight length, uh, sensitivity and change it. But it takes. Uh, time it often takes ten years
1: they were, they were working on varieties of potatoes which had an increased amount of zinc and there was one other it oh, tra- yeah, was nutrition. one other trace mineral because above like ten thousand feet where lots of Peruvians still live the only thing that grows is potatoes
0: but they freeze them in the ground don 't
1: they well that, that's that's a different that 's a different part of the story oh, okay. but the first part of the story is there 's a there's a problem with mono-eating, I guess. Not monoculture oh, yeah. but mono-eating. But, and uh, so, they, that tr- that's so that's they're fair. trying to they're trying to correct the diet. So they're looking for... Which have a particularly high amou- amount of zinc. And there's one, there's one other trace mineral. I can't think what it was. But it, it was funny to have them talk to us about the fact that they... The Peruvian mountain people had invented freeze-drying... <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: oh yeah, they don't just really have to invent it. They just leave things <laughs> just leave out.
0: It, you just, leave out. <laughs> you just
1: leave it out there. Exactly. Well,
0: that, that's like um, what's his name in Copenhagen, Rene Ratzepi, and his two-year carrot. I don't understand why the carrot doesn't rot. Oh, what, what? I'm,
1: not, I'm not sure why we even care. I don't know,
0: but that's what one of his specialties: is two-year-old carrot. <laughs> oh. Anyhow, you have so many different exciting um, recipes here, like brine-cured green almonds. And, uh, uh, what? well, I'm, your, your of, tea of salsa verde is different from mine, but um, it looks good also. And you have those funny cherries. And, I mean, it's just so many different things in here. And, and something I have to mention is that I, I know this... Um, business with the hot water bath thing my mother was a big canner um you're the first one I and mean, we have lots of books lots and lots of books um on pickling and so forth you're the first one who talks about using the microwave
4: yes it's it's very easy to do and it it saves a lot of work um and uh, you you put your jars in there and they're they're getting sterilized by the microwave
0: yeah, but what about the metal for the rings? No, no,
4: you don't put the rings in. You put the jars in, like, um, I'll have a Pyrex, let's say a Pyrex pie dish, and then I'll put the little jars of jam or jelly in that dish, and okay. it's got water in it, and then I put that in the microwave until the contents of the jars are starting to bubble. Then I take them out, and I have sterilized uh, lids, and rings and i put them on the jars turn them upside down for five minutes and then turn them back up and they self seal you don't have to go through all that rigmarole however if you're going to be making pickles to sell you better follow the the health board um rules but this is for home this this works Uh, i mean i know as a kid when i was growing up uh, my dear grandmother was always canning and it was always in the hot dog days of August, and the house was a steam bath. My mother, too. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, anyone who cans knows what that's like, and I just thought, this is such an easier way of doing it without killing yourself. Yeah. Only you can't d- do huge batches. This is for a small batch, of course, because your microwaves can only carry so much, but You'll notice in my recipes, it's it's often just two-quart jars. Yeah. Those fit in my microwave. So, I mean, that's sort of where I was coming from with my measurements. But all the recipes are designed to be multiplied up or cut in half. So you, you can take it where you want to go. It depends how much work you want to do in August, right?
0: right. Yeah, I remember sitting around waiting to hear the little pop when they sealed.
4: Yes, yes. <laughs> That's what happens when you use the microwave. That you bring them out, they're upside down for five minutes, and stand them up, and then they should start to pop. The lids will pop downwards, and then you know you've got a good seal. And anyway, with pickles, it's a lot of them don't even need the water bath because they're 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 good at ambient temperature. They were invented for that purpose, you know, just to put them in a cold room, but. Um, you know they don't have meat in them, and that sort of thing, which really—it's uh, a whole different kind of protein. Oh, well, with beans, it's another thing that they can go off rather easily. But um, it, it, it's—you you have to use some common sense when you're when you're pickling um, as to what what's best, because the, the salting and fermented recipes—they were designed to go into crocks sitting in a in a cold room someplace, so that you don't really need to seal them. Anyway, they're so good. Who wants to seal them? I want to get into them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think this is an eye-opening book. And, of course, Rizal, always produces beautiful books. And this one is another one. And um, so, listeners, it's uh, Willie Moyes Weaver. And it's called The Roughwood Book of Pickling. And um, the recipes are, are delicious. Um, and it, if you want to get exotic seeds, what?
4: where to go for that yes the, the, the seed source is listed at the back of the book so it tells you where to order the seeds Great. and you can order uh, you can actually anybody who wants to can go to our website which is www.roughwoodtable.org, and we have an online store which will be up and running uh, I think uh, within two weeks and all of this will be available for sale there
0: and be sure to keep us posted on the restaurant so that when we're in Philadelphia visiting the kids. Oh, yes.
4: The, well, already these res, um, Elwood, a couple of the, the, the cutting edge restaurants, already have our recipes on their menus. So those chefs know me well. <laughs> they no, come fine. out here and we share ingredients. We're working on the Roughwood Book of Vegetable Cookery. So there's going to be a whole Roughwood series eventually.
0: Oh, great. Well, It's been a pleasure talking to you, and your book is, is, as I said, eye-opening. Well, thank you. Thank you, William Ways Weaver. (laughs) Yes.
2: Bye-bye. Bye.
1: Okay. Well, it's time to let you go and start your Christmas shopping, everybody. Right? Yes. Okay, and we'll see you again same time, same place next week. And until then, bye-bye.